We've been going back and walking somewhat through the book of Acts, not verse by verse, but trying to get a little bit of a picture of really what was happening and how was the early church formed. Uh, and, I, and I would hope that during this time that we've learned an awful lot about the early church because the early church wasn't based off of a building or an institution or a doctrine, but the, the early church was based upon one thing, and that was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We've talked about the fact that the church grew so fast because it was a movement. Um, it was a movement as the people heard and as they saw and as they had were eyewitnesses to the, to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ as well as his appearance afterwards, they could not hold on to what they had seen and experienced. And after the Holy Spirit came and did a mighty work amongst them, there was a tremendous amount of boldness and they went out preaching the gospel. And we've learned that during that time that there was a tremendous amount of conflict that took place because up until that time there was a really a delicate balance of power that existed between the Roman leaders and the Jewish leaders. But all of a sudden these followers of the way begin to cover begin to create a tremendous amount of chaos. And there was an unsettling that took place in that time and there was persecution that broke out against those early believers. We saw, I think, Last week, we talked about the persecution and the martyr of, of, of Stephen. Uh, Stephen was one of the early leaders of the church, um, and we talked about that last week. And in the midst of that, we don't know an awful lot about him except that he was very bold in his witness, and he was a tremendous servant for the Lord. And yet he was martyred. And during that time, what ended up taking place is it was almost like it was the beginning of a tremendous amount of persecution that just began to sweep over. And as, and as that persecution took place there inside of Jerusalem, there were believers that were scattered all over the place. And guess what happened? Wherever those believers ended up, guess what they talked about? And guess what they discussed? They discussed what they had seen and had experienced. And the gospel spread and spread and the church grew. Um, today, I want to I look um, at a passage of scripture in Acts chapter 15, but I want to sort of help you a little bit understand because we also talked about Saul last week and, and how Saul, who was one of the major persecutors, I mean, he was there and he not only, not, he not only was there when, when Stephen was, was martyred, but he also agreed and he became become one of the, the main persecutors of the believers. And then he'd even written back to get approval so that as he went to Damascus, he would be able to bring back those followers of the way and be able to persecute them, put them in jail, and maybe even kill them. But on that way to Damascus, he had an encounter with the Lord. And something took place in his life, and he was, his life was radically changed. And after that, guess what happened in Paul's life? Paul couldn't keep hold of what he had experienced but he went out and he went to begin to preach to the Gentiles and he went all over that Mediterranean rim and he, as he went and as he talked about the Lord and as he presented the gospel he planted these little churches or ecclesias that 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 these believers were assembling in and so and in that time he told them about Jesus Christ and he told them about what it was like to be saved by faith and he encouraged them and he helped, he helped them grow spiritually. But in the meantime, while all of this was taking place, there was a disturbance that was ha happening back in Jerusalem, that which I guess we can say is maybe the center of Christianity. There was a disagreement, there was a controversy that was taking place, and we're going to sort of look at that today, because it basically revolved around 
the controversy of, well, who was really in? Who were really believers? I mean, what, what did they have to do to be in? How, how, how many rules and regulations did they have to, to hold on to? How good did they have to, to be? And as you look back, the disagreement or the misunderstanding or the, that, that conversation that was happening is pretty understandable because you've got Jews who were followers of the law who had been raised by all the traditions inside of the church. They were held to the commandments and all these other different laws, and they ended up believing that Jesus was nothing more than an extension of Judaism. Now, you've got to sort of grasp that today, that it was Jesus was an extension of Judaism. Um, and that they believe that for people to become believers or Christians, followers of the way, they first had to be Jewish. Okay, are you with me? I mean, they had to be following all of these laws and they had to be doing all of these things. And, and so they believe that, that Jesus himself taught that he didn't come to abolish the law to fulfill it. I mean, Jesus said that. So it, it made perfect sense to them that people would have to become Jewish if they were going to be followers of the way. And all of a sudden, you've got these Gentile believers where Paul has been preaching, talking about faith and talking about God's grace. And all of a sudden, they found themselves in conflict because Paul told them that, listen, that salvation was because of what God did on the cross, what Jesus did on the cross, that his sins were forgiven because of God's grace. And all of a sudden, it was like the playing field was being adjusted, that these Jewish people were saying, no, it's not by, just by faith, but there's some other things that are added to it. And they believed that because they had sent out a letter telling them that what Paul's telling you is right, but there's more to the story. So you can imagine some of the tensions that were there. They were saying, listen, that before you are a real follower, before you are a real believer, there's some things that have to be done, some scriptures that you got to memorize, you got to be immersed, you've got to learn the Jewish laws and the traditions. And you got to be circumcised. You can imagine being sitting around a, a fire one night and that conversation come up with a group of guys. <laughs> I don't think so. I can just imagine. And on the flip side, um, if you, you know, we, we, we sit down and we look at this, but on the flip side, if we've been a believer for a, an extended period of time, and we've been in church for an extended period of time. I mean, how many times do we find ourselves in conflict? Because we may say that we're saved and believe that we're saved by faith. Yet how many times over time do we add other stuff to that process? Are you with me? It's really easy. See, the, the struggle is that Christianity deals with morality. And yet there's that sense of God's grace and forgiveness. We know that the Bible says that we're saved by God's grace and there isn't anything that we can do. Yet the demonstration of our faith is seen in how we make our everyday choices. And there are people in today's society that would claim to be a follower of Christ, yet their lives, their outward choices don't seem to match up. Are you with me? Yeah. 
I mean, I agree with what the Bible says that there's only one way to heaven, and that's through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I believe that we're saved by faith and not by works. Yet, it's so easy for those of us that are believers for a long period of time to all of a sudden say, okay, okay, I understand that you're saved by God's grace, but you're really not saved until you are, start, until you are doing these things, until you're participating in these certain practices. There's got to be a balance someplace. I love that what the scripture has to say in reference to Jesus when John wrote, and he, and he said this, and this isn't in your notes that you'll see up on the screen, but I penciled this out this morning in reference to, the re- reference to Jesus. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, that Jesus himself was full, complete grace and truth. I mean, is it really about the grace or is it about the law? Is it about getting it all together and coming to God? Or is it about God's grace? And because of God's grace, I don't have to worry about the law. Does God's grace mean that, does it give me an excuse to live the way that I want to live? Or does God's grace empower me to live for Christ in freedom? That's sort of the tension. You've been there. How much is enough? Was the cross sufficient? And so there's this controversy that arises in the early church. And let's talk about it today because I think it's something that's very valuable to us today because, you know, how will we wrestle with that? Wrestle, 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 wrestle. You know what I'm saying. I mean, how, how, how are we going to... How are we going to deal with that? Let's just see how they dealt with it in the early church. And let's read what the scripture has to say, not what I have to say. Acts chapter 15, verse 1, and this is what Luke records. While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach. Well, this is a very critical time. Very critical time in the, in the history of what we know as Christianity. And there were some Judaizers that were part of the Jerusalem church that had become, these were Pharisees that had become believers. And remember, they had been steeped, they had been raised, they knew the law, and they held on to the law. And they believed that to become a follower of Christ, that you had not only, it wasn't by faith alone, but it was also by following the regulations and the laws. And this is what they taught. They taught, they came in and taught, after Paul had already been talking about grace, They came in and taught, unless you were circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. In other words, if you're not doing the Jewish things, you can't be saved. I don't care what Paul's told you. You've got to come back and you've got to fulfill all this other stuff. Paul didn't tell you the whole story. See, there's more. And you can imagine the tension that was that those new Gentile believers, because they didn't know anything about the law. They didn't know anything about the regulations. They didn't know anything about the traditions. They didn't understand that. They had only believed what Paul had said, that Jesus was God's son, that he had been sent, and he had died on a cross for their sins, and that anybody, anybody that believed could have eternal life. That was the message that Paul, that was the message that he spoke. And he goes on to say, Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, and they argued vehemently. Finally, the church decided to get together and to take up an offering and send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem. 
accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and the elders about this question, this, this tension that was going on. I mean, is this really true? I mean, come on, guys. I mean, you're telling me you're changing the, you're changing the game plan here. Paul said it was by grace. Now you're coming back and telling me there's all this other stuff that I've got to do to be a follower of Jesus? He says, when they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and the elders, and they reported everything that God had done through them. So, so man, they started off the meeting by saying, let me tell you what God's been doing. Let me tell you about the numbers of people that have been turning. Let me tell you about the numbers of people whose lives have been changed. Let me tell you about the miracles that have happened. And so they started the conversation by saying, look what God has done. We've been talking to the Gentiles about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know, man, listen, there's stuff happening. There's some incredible things that are going on, and people's lives are being changed. And they're planting churches all over the place. But guys, listen, I hadn't been telling them to clean themselves up and then come to Jesus I hadn't been talking to them about the rules and the regulations. I've not talked to them about having to be circumcised. Where's all that stuff coming from? You mean to tell me that to be part of God's family, that they've got to complete all this stuff? Verse 5, and some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted. The Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. See, the cross was enough, but not really. There's more. That's what they believed. See, when we think about the law, we think about probably the Ten Commandments. We think about, you know, do not worship any other gods, do not make any idols, do not... Misuse the name of the Lord. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Honor thy father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not lie. Do not covet. Do not steal. And those sound really good, don't they? I mean, aren't those the ones that you want your kids to follow? But that's not necessarily what they were thinking about. They were thinking about the whole law. They were thinking about the 600 plus laws that they had been raised on, that they had been taught to memorize and to learn And they said, Paul, listen, you need to get back on the boat. And you need to go back to these places and you need to tell them those places that you taught and those people that have said that they want to be believers, that they've got to change their lifestyles and their habits and they've got to adapt to all of these things. And you're supposed to teach them to eat differently and to live differently and to obey the Sabbath. And you need to do that. Plus teach them that they're going to have to be circumcised. And when they do that, then they can be part of the family. But not until then. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? Sounds crazy. But it's easy for that type of thinking to creep in. It's easy for that type of thinking to creep in that, listen, until you do these things, you know, it's easy to be judgmental and pharisaic. And anything less isn't enough. And in those days, that was the tension that existed. And in verse 6, he said, So the apostles and the elders met together to resolve the issue. And at the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter, Peter, 
one of the guys that was in charge, along with James, the brother of Jesus, stood up and he addressed them as follows. And this is what he said, brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles. There was a time when Paul had a vision from the Lord, and in that vision from the Lord, the Lord told him, listen, there is no favoritism. They were all the same. They were all sinners. And he was called to go and preach to the Gentiles, and it said, so they could hear the good news and believe. And I can imagine Peter saying, let me tell you about the story of going down to the home of Cornelius, or let me tell you about the Romans that I've had the opportunity to speak the truth to. And he goes on in verse 8, God knows, God who knows people's hearts. See, this is a, a really big deal because we can't see. See, I can't see Jimmer's heart. I, can't, I can only see Jimmer's actions. I can't even see, I can't see Lana's, I can't see her intentions. I can see what she does, but I can't see her heart. But he said, God who knows people's hearts. God knows. God who knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did us. That Holy Spirit coming in to live and reside. And you know what happens when the Holy Spirit comes in? All of a sudden, he's not just a comforter, but all of a sudden, he's a changer. Because when the Holy Spirit comes in and he begins to reside, and you begin to listen, it changes stuff. You can't be the same. You can't walk with Jesus and stay the same way you are. You're different. And he said he gave them the Holy Spirit just as he, as he did us. And he made no distinction between us and them, the Jews and the Gentiles, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. He cleansed their hearts, their hearts, the things that we can't see, through faith. To which the Pharisees said, man, you got to be kidding me. If he purified their hearts, why in the world hasn't he cleaned up all the nasty habits that they've got? And he goes on there in verse 10, So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? And I'm going to read that for you again, because I think it's really important to understand this passage. Why are you thinking that your ways are better than God's? By burdening the Gentile believers, those that are coming to faith, that those that haven't been raised in the church and in the traditions, why are you trying to burden them with a teaching, a yoke, that neither we nor our ancestors are able to bear? Why are you trying to get them to do something that you yourself can't even do? Why are you trying to get them to hold on to laws and other issues and regulations that you yourself can't even do? See, it may look good on Sunday, but see, I know what, hap I know what happens on Monday when you're not there in the church building. See, I know what happens when you're not there in the synagogue. And God knows, and you're trying to get them to hold on to something that you yourself can't even hold up? God forbid. God forbid. You've broken the law. Listen, don't you remember when? And that would have been a great time to, you know, to start all of a sudden playing the video screen up there on the, on the, uh, in the synagogue of all the things that go on in our lives. We're trying, you want to hold them to something that you yourself can't even hold on to, please. And he says, we believe that we are all saved the same way. 
that all of us are sinners, and I'm sort of adding that here. We're all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not because of something that they do, but because of something that He did. That God has a way of purifying our hearts before we ever get rid of that nasty habit. That God has a way of purifying our hearts before we ever get things right in our marriage. That God has a way of, of changing us on the inside before some of the changes ever happen on the outside. But see, from us on the inside, we think that the changes are supposed to happen on the outside, but we can't even see what's going on on the inside. Only God knows that. Well, after Peter was done... James, the brother of Jesus, stands up. And he stands up and he makes this statement to the leaders and those that are assembled there. And after listening, he says, and so my judgment. In other words, okay, I've been listening. I've been talking to the Father. And after hearing everything, this is my conclusion. And he says, We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. I've heard the debate. I've heard the discussions. I've listened to the arguments. And I understand that we've grown up with a set of rules and regulations that we're supposed to be living by. Yet I also know that Jesus is all about grace and all about forgiveness. And there is a tension. And James said we should not and we cannot make it difficult for those non-believers who were turning to God. Because it isn't everything that we're talking about, isn't it about non-believers turning to God? Isn't it really about repentance? Isn't it really about an acknowledgement, the fact that I can't save myself? And recognizing what God did in His great power of sending His Son Jesus to die on the cross and that His death on the cross was sufficient for me? Isn't that while we're here? And He goes on to say, instead we should write and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols and from sexual immorality. And I don't think I really need to explain that. See, so you know what that is. And by eating the meat of strangled animals and from consuming blood. James said, listen, as they interact with us, I already know some things that there's going to be attention in. Some things that they have been brought up. Some things they've been raised in. So let's say, okay, listen, why don't you move this by? Why don't you, why don't you raise these things to the top? Because they have the ability to create a tremendous amount of tension. And, and the, I can imagine them saying, but what about the lying and the stealing and the and honoring your parents and all that other kind of stuff? Yeah, that's good stuff. But let's, let's not burden them down with those things right now. But let's tell them not to offend the Jews with the things that are so offensive to them. Let's tell them to be sensitive to their brothers and sisters in Christ. And he goes on to say, For the laws of Moses have been preached in the synagogues in every city and on every Sabbath for many generations. And then as we wrap it up, I want to move down to verse 30. I want to read it, what he says. He said, And the messengers went out once to Antioch, and they were called a general meeting of the believers and delivered the letter. So after this conversation, they, they got together and they 
formed this letter and they sent it off and they, they took it back to Antioch and they read it. And I wonder what the response of the Gentile believers were after they, they read. And it says in verse 31, and there was great joy. All the guys began to clap. Throughout the church that, that day, as they read this encouraging message, that balance between grace and truth. Because see, it's not the laws that save us. It's impossible. Every one of us in this room are a lawbreaker. You're a rule breaker. Matter of fact, you could even look at the person next to you and say, you're a rule breaker, I know it, because <laughs> I am too. But they said, let's not make it difficult for those that are turning. And you know, as we talk about it, it's so easy for us to turn inward. And, and maybe a couple of points that I want to make during this time is, is, is this, that, is that it's easy to, to drift towards legalism. And it's easy to drift towards the law. And so with that, that thought, I want to give you just three little quick things. In the midst of time as it passes, it's easy to lose the passion for the lost and end up spending all of our time trying to do things just to keep safe people happy. Are you with me? Churches die because they lose their passion for the church, for the unreached people. And you know what? You don't have to go to Nicaragua, and you don't have to go to Poland, you don't have to go to Africa if I unreached, unsaved people. They're here in this community. There are people living in this community that don't know Jesus. And it's easy over time. It's easy over time just to become settled and complacent, and you start gathering. And man, we're having a good time, and we're having a heritage day, and we're having some good fellowships, and we're having a good Bible study, while those on the outside are dying and going to hell. May we never lose our passion for that. May we never lose our passion for the, for the lost. The second thing is, as time passes, it's easy to drift from grace towards the law. And I'm not talking about a change in theology that all of a sudden we begin to think that we're saved by works and not by faith. But it's easy to produce a tremendous amount of policies and expectations for people to raise the bar that we have no right to raise. Because it isn't our bar to raise. It was by grace that we're saved through faith and nothing else. We don't deserve it. See, I love the fact that God loved us before we ever loved Him. He was all in, 100%, before we ever said, yes, I'll follow you. See, that's not how we work. See, we won't step into the water until we find out if the other person's going to step. We won't tell somebody else, I love you, until we find out whether or not we think they love us. But Jesus said, no, I love you, and I'm going to give it all before you give me anything. Jesus had conversations with people. Matthew, the tax collector, if it was by the law, would never have, never have been a disciple. You with me, Conrad? Zacchaeus wouldn't have had a chance. The woman at the well, please. See, the law said you better stay away from them. You better keep your distance. Don't interact with them. Don't you know who they are? Don't you know what kind of people they are? You better be careful. But Jesus says, go and sin no more. But then we ask the question, but what happens if she does it again? See, we get hung up on that, don't we? See, what happens if we extend grace and then they step on us again? 
It's hard to extend grace again. But wasn't that Jesus? To extend grace. See, see, that's what he does to me. And that's what I know he does to you because I fail him all the time. Can imagine the amount of times that I break his heart because of my conversation or because of my thoughts or because of my actions that maybe you don't even see. How many times do I break his heart and grieve his heart and yet he still embraces me and I can run into his arms as we sang that song earlier. Churches that demonstrate grace, churches that want to love people. Let me tell you what, churches that want to that want to love people will be hurt and it will be messy. It's a whole lot easier to just to form a policy and just say, out with you. You know, because of this, no more. Jesus was a man of conversation. He was a man of grace. And it was powerful the way Jesus lived because he was, he was all about 100% truth and 100% grace. The third thing, just as a thought, it can be so easy for us to spend all of our time trying to preserve the past instead of advancing and looking ahead. You know, when we started Heritage, we didn't have anything, nothing. Matter of fact, if it wasn't for it was Paige and Brooke and Meredith and some of these ladies got together and started going through our kids' toys and bringing stuff because we didn't have a resource at all. And we started collecting things that we could help teach the children and talk to them about Jesus. And now look seven years later what God has blessed us with. And you know what God blessed us with? He blessed us with this because there was a group of people that were willing to let go. There was a group of people that were willing to sacrifice. And we're going to talk about that here coming up. Because there are multitudes of churches and, and people that are believers around that are not willing to let go. And as a result, the ministries are dying. Had a church this past week that called me. They're in a, they're in a, they're in a situation. They're saying, what do, what do we do? I mean, this is, this is where we are, and what do we do? There's another church that's a church plant that's not far from them. They've got maybe 15 people. This, this one traditional church, this one church, established church, and this other church that's a new and upcoming church that's been meeting for about three years, have maybe 70 or 80 people. And you know what they're holding on to? They said, no, you can't. We're not going to get with you because we're going to maintain our name. Something to be said about that. Is it really about maintaining a name or is it about proclaiming his name? So if we're going to be outward if we're going to reach people if we're going to reach the lost just three quick things number one be bold that was what the early believers prayed for they prayed for boldness they prayed that they would be bold they said lord let us be bold in our witness let us not be afraid and also do great signs and wonders in and around us so that your may, your name may be made famous be bold so how can we be bold number one you can be bold in your invites When's the last time you've invited somebody to an environment where there's a group of people talking about Jesus? When there's the last time that you invited somebody out for coffee just to, just to have a conversation and get to know them because you were concerned about their spiritual eternity? When's the last time that you were bold in an invite and inviting somebody to come to church? I had a friend of mine the other day that invited somebody to come to the men's retreat. And he said, man, I was blown away when he said, I'll go. This guy hadn't been in church in several years. He says, I'll go. And you know why? Because it was an invite. When's the last time you've been bold in your invitation? 
Not only bold in your invitation, what about bold in your actions? If you want to have an influence for Christ, if you want to have an, an impact in the life of somebody else, man, let your actions speak. The Scripture says, be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders and make the most of every opportunity. Boldness. I don't know what it looks like to you, but just a couple of things. Being bold is, hey, man, come on and, come on and go to the men's retreat. Come on and participate in, in, in Heritage Day. Or, I tell, listen, man, I know you've been struggling with your finances. Can I, can, let me take you to meet Mark. Man, he's a great guy. Financial peace, I promise you, man, if you'll walk through it and adhere to the principles, I promise you it'll help you. When's the last time you've done that? The second thing, err on the side of grace. We aren't probably the most graceful people. And you know why we aren't graceful people? Because we don't want to be taken advantage of. We're tired of being hurt. We don't want to, we don't want to be hurt. And we, and we have a hard time trusting because we've hurt. But err on the side of grace. If we want to reach the unsaved, we have to err on the side of grace. And it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a challenge. One of the reasons that Many people on the outside don't want to come on the inside is because of the condemnation that those on the inside have, have, have given to those on the outside. Because we've raised the bar. Are you with me? Remember, the church grew because it was about Jesus, not about a bunch of other stuff that we added to the process. And if we're going to reach the unsaved, and if we're going to be proactive, we're going to have to err on the side of of grace. You know, in, in Galatians chapter 6, it talks about that if someone is caught in sin, we, those of us that are believers, must restore them gently. And he's talking about believers here. But when there's a conflict and somebody isn't living right, how many times do we spend our time judging them instead of going to them and walking alongside of them? We see our relationship here and their relationship here instead of seeing us moving this direction and this way. Are you with me? Yeah. And be careful. I'm not talking about do not judge and, and do not confront and do not hold accountable. I just have a hard time finding a lot of people that have their lives in a position that they can hold somebody else accountable. Because judge lest you be judged. Yes, may we hold one another accountable. Yes, may we walk alongside people that are struggling. But when in the midst of that process, you better make sure that you've got your back door cleaned up underneath. Err on the side of grace. And the third thing is this, remain open Handing. Remain open-handed. Instead of holding on, how can we look for God at work? Instead of trying to protect and preserve, how can we live in such a way that we say, God, use me? Instead of it's me and my resource, how can we use the resources that God has given us to reach those around us? How can we say, God, these are your resources, not mine? How can we say, God, use me? James was right, wasn't he? When he said, let's not make it difficult for those that are turning to God. And this is hard. Because this is something that we're going to have to wrestle with. And we'll wrestle with it until we die. But may we not raise the bar so high that those on the outside that don't know Jesus don't feel as if they don't have a chance. Because they do have a chance. It's by God's grace that we're saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That I don't care what you've done, I don't care where you've been, I don't care what in life that you might be holding on to, that you can repent and turn towards God. And the scripture tells me that if I confess my sins, that he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me in all unrighteousness. It's not about God forgiving us. You know what it really is? It's about us forgiving ourselves. May we create an environment that it's not about us, but it's about God's. And may we never forget the opportunity that we have to reach the lost world that's around us. That we need to be proactive and intentional and in sharing the love of Jesus. How did the message go from just a small group of people that were eyewitnesses? It was because they were bold in their faith. And they were willing to risk it all. What are you willing to risk, church? Can we pray? Thank you, Father, for our time here today. I pray that you've spoken to us. Those of us that have been believers for a long time would be reminded of God's grace. Just to be able to go back, remember. And maybe there's somebody here that's really struggling and they don't know you. Today may be that day that they say, Yes, Jesus, I believe. I believe that I'm a sinner and I've did everything in the world to try to save myself. But today, I want to follow you. If that's you today, just write even there where you are. Just talk to the Lord and say, Jesus, I offer myself to you. I want to follow you. I want to obey you. I want to grow. I want to be part of your family. Scripture says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I'm holding on to that truth today. If you're here and that's you, would you please come see me right after this service because I'd love to be able to share with you and to talk to you a little bit about taking some more steps in this journey of faith. If you're here today and you're a believer and you've never been baptized, you've never been immersed as a, as a public affirmation of your faith in Jesus Christ, what is it that keeps you from making that decision? If there are those of us that are Christians today, this is what I want to tell you. Ladies have been going through a Bible study. I want to tell you, listen. Listen. Hear his voice. Because the Father will direct your steps if you'll allow him. Bless us now, Lord, as we leave this place. May we be your instruments of peace in the community in which we live, work, and play. We are your ambassadors. May we live with intentionality so that we can live and leave a heritage of faith. In Jesus' name, amen.